I love autumn. It's a wonderful time of year to talk about death. <laughs> I got at least one chuckle over there, morbid. No, the year's coming to an end, right? The days are getting shorter. It's getting colder outside. The flowers in the garden are all kind of withered and shriveled and brown, especially if you're lazy like me and you haven't pulled up the dead plants yet. The leaves are all falling from the trees, leaving the branches bare like skeletons against the sky. Nature speaks to us about a, a cycle of life and death. We observe the world around us seeming to die every fall, but we know that it will be reborn again in the spring. And so as soon as the weather turns cold, we start to look forward to discovering those first spring daffodils, you know, those tiny little buds of green that will appear out of nowhere on the tree branches. But will there be such a rebirth for us? That's the great mystery of human existence, isn't it? What happens after we die? That question has haunted us from the very beginning, going back all the way to Cain and Abel, when Cain first struck down his brother and then wondered, why isn't he getting back up again? What happened to him? Is he gone forever? Does part of him still exist somewhere, somehow? Fundamentally, there are only two possibilities of what happens when we die. Either we continue to exist or we don't. And contrary to what modern materialists think, there's no reason to presume that death is the end. There's no reason to presume we don't go on after death. I'll explain. Human beings are our body-soul composites. We're made up of these two, two halves. And death occurs when our body and our soul separate, when the soul leaves the body, either because the body's been so badly damaged, either by injury or by disease or by age, that the body can't function any longer, and therefore it, it no longer can give expression to our soul. And since the soul is the animating spirit of the body, when it leaves, the body starts to decay. It starts to break down. It, it comes apart, returns to its composite parts. But then what happens to the soul? The soul doesn't have any composite parts. The soul is pure spirit. It's not composed of anything else. Therefore, it can't decay. Either it is or it isn't. And there's no reason to assume that the soul would cease to be when it leaves the body. And in fact, most ancient religions just took it for granted that the soul lives on somehow. They had different ideas about what might happen to the soul after death, but they all understood that it must continue to exist. It must live on in some way. Now, as far as the body is concerned, most ancient cultures just considered that an empty shell. Once the soul left it, its purpose was, was done. And many ancient cultures practiced cremation as a way of disposing of the body. The idea being that, you know, the spirit of the person is gone, and that's the real person. And so the body has no more value. It's leftover material. It's like chaff after a harvest. 
So let's burn it like chaff. Some cultures even believed that burning the body would, would help the soul of the deceased person to leave this world and move on into the next. And that's why the Catholic Church traditionally did not allow for cremation. It's because the cultures that did observe that practice didn't value the body because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't have hope in the resurrection of the body. Now, can God resurrect a body that's been burned to ashes? Certainly he can. That's not why the Catholic Church used to forbid it. And that's why we permit it today, because the reasons most people are cremated today don't have anything to do with those ancient, ancient practices. But even though it's permitted today, we still stipulate that the cremated remains of a person must be treated with that same care and respect and reverence even that we would have of a body. That means that the cremains have to be kept together and buried, either in the ground or, or in a columbarium, and not scattered in the wind or, or kept on a shelf in your closet, you know, somewhere. Why? Why does it matter how we treat the body after death? Why do we have rules about how we should treat the body? I can give you two reasons. The first reason is that the body is just as much a part of the person as the soul. And therefore, it deserves to be treated with dignity and respect, even in death. And two, it's because of the hope that we have that the body will one day be resurrected and be reunited with the soul and that we will be made whole again. And this future resurrection is something that God revealed to his chosen people, even in ancient times. And we see evidence of this in our first reading today from 2 Maccabees. Those seven brothers that we read about were willing to die rather than violate God's law because of the hope that they had in the resurrection. They knew that if they remained faithful to God, that he would raise them bodily from the dead. That in the end, God would restore all things. But not every Jewish person believed this. You've heard of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? One of the main differences between these two Jewish sects is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> That'll help you remember which one is which. So it's the Sadducees who, in today's gospel, ask Jesus this ridiculous question about the woman who marries seven brothers, right? Whose wife is she going to be after the resurrection? They don't care whose wife she's going to be after the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're trying to trip up Jesus. They think they're asking him a trick question. But of course, you can't trip up Jesus with a question about the resurrection because he is the resurrection. And this is the heart of the matter. Jesus, who should be the heart of every matter. The universal problem that we all face is death. Some, like the brothers in 2 Maccabees, believe in a resurrection after death. Some, like the Sadducees, don't. What's the right answer? What's the right answer? Jesus is the answer. He says, I 
am the truth. Jesus overcomes death. He says, I am the life. Jesus is the first fruits of that new creation. He says, I am the resurrection. And in the same gospel passage where he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life, he also says, he who believes in me will never die. So all we have to do is believe in Jesus and we'll never die, right? So let's all say the sinner's prayer and then we can go home. (laughs) It's not that simple. See, Jesus doesn't give us instructions for the resurrection. He doesn't teach us a method for the resurrection. He is the resurrection. And that means that if we want to participate in the resurrection, we have to become part of him. We have to become part of that body that died on the cross. We have to become part of that body that was buried in the tomb so that we can be part of the body that rises again on the third day. And how do we do that? How do we become part of someone's body? That sounds strange, maybe even a little creepy when we say that. How do we become part of someone's body? But there is something that we do that we describe as becoming part of someone's body, isn't there? It's marriage. In Genesis, it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one body. I bet you didn't think this homily about death was going to end up being about marriage. But the two aren't that dissimilar. If we want to become part of Christ's body, this is how we do it. We have to become his bride. Yes, fellas, even you, you have to become his bride. The scriptures speak about the church as the body of Christ and also the bride of Christ. And these names for the church don't express two different truths, but they're two aspects of the same truth. Jesus wants to make us one with his body through this nuptial union. So just praying the sinner's prayer to accept Jesus into your heart, that's not enough. It's a good start. We need to do that. We need to accept Jesus into our heart. We need to express our faith. But we can't end there. Imagine if when I first saw my wife and I thought, hey, she's pretty cute. You know, I just said in my heart, man, I really love her. And then that was it. Didn't do anything else about it. Right? Nothing would come of that. Nothing would come of that. No, instead I went and I talked to her. I got to know her. I entered into a relationship with her. And eventually, the two of us became one flesh in holy matrimony. And that union is born fruit in the form of new life. And I don't just mean our children, but the new life that we share with each other because we left behind our former life and we entered into something new. Becoming one with Christ's body in the church is very much like that. It's very much like a marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother. That is to say, we have to leave our former life behind. If we would rise with him, we first must die with him. And we do that by baptism, by spiritually dying with Christ and then being reborn as a new creation. Resurrection 
has to be preceded by death. And then he shall cling to his wife. After the death of our old self, we're initiated into a new mode of being. That's why we have the sacrament of confirmation. Now that we've been reborn in baptism, we have to be filled with a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. We're anointed with sacred oil, and so we become Christ, which means anointed one. We become anointed ones. And then the two shall become one flesh. Now, having been incorporated into Christ's body by baptism and confirmation, we then consummate our union with him by receiving his precious body into our own in the Eucharist. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father. So also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. My brothers and sisters, it matters that we receive the Eucharist worthily. It matters that we are initiated into the church so that we're able to say, like St. Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not about membership in a club. It's about life and death. And the hope that we have in Christ of our resurrection. What we do here in this sacred building matters. It matters. Not only for today, but for all of eternity.